this podcast is the ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in Rosemont, Georgia. For information, visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to come together as the body of Christ and to focus on you. Give me the ability, Father, for the next little while to rightly divide the word of truth, Father. And I pray that you would keep us free from distraction and help us to understand and see very clearly your message to us so that your name may be glorified, Father. Help us to leave this place transformed and changed more than the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. We give you the praise and the honor and the glory. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. You know, there are approximately 7 billion people on the planet. 7 billion. Now, to put that number in perspective, if you wanted to count to 7 billion people, Assuming you could count a number every second, it would take you something like 230 years to count to 7 million. Now, that many people on the planet, there are problems. We know some of these problems. We have problems of war. We have problems of armed conflict all over the globe. See, like every time we turn around, somebody is angry with somebody else at some point in the world. We have problems of famine and starvation. It's very difficult for certain people in the world to feed their families. We have the problem of illiteracy. If you look at statistics, it's estimated that approximately one billion people in our world cannot read or write their own name. Of all the problems in the world... Of all the difficulties that the people of the world deal with, there's one statistic that keeps rattling around my brain. You see, of those 7 billion people, almost 3 billion of them live, ready for this, on less than $2 a day. 200 pennies. Now, when you live on less than 200 pennies a day, it changes the way you view life, right? It's totally different than the Western world's mindset. You don't have money for a house because you can't afford a mortgage. You don't have money to rent because you can't afford to pay the rent. You don't have money to have any sort of a real structure. So what you do instead is you go and you find any materials you can find, an old tarp, pallets that you can break apart and get the wood, old tin laying around, and you assemble them together in some fashion to provide some sort of shelter for your family. Now, you certainly don't have enough money to own a car. You can't pay the insurance. You can't pay the payment. You couldn't pay for the gas. And so you're forced to walk everywhere you go to get medical attention, to get your children some education, if you have any sort of money to even buy groceries. And having nice food for your family is out of the question, right? I mean, on 200 pennies a day, you can't buy meals. And so you grow whatever you can, you barter, you steal if you have to, and you do the best you can to provide one, maybe if you're real fortunate, two meals a day. Now having the stuff like we have, nice vacations and retirement plans and 
All the wonderful things that we surround ourselves with in our lives, totally out of question when you live on less than $2 a day. Now, for the people that live on this amount of income, less than $2 a day, this penny and these 200 pennies represent a life lived in utter poverty. For us in America, 200 pennies a day, it's a drop in the bucket. You know, poverty is an incredible problem around our world. And there are organizations that do everything they can to try to alleviate the problem of poverty. There are national organizations, there are international organizations, there are individual corporations, there are individual churches that seek to help these people living in a lifestyle like this to rise up just a little bit and meet some of their needs. But of all the problems in our world, and of all the needs that people face, the greatest need in the world still is the need for a Savior. They need Christ. The International Mission Board estimates that if things don't change very quickly, there are approximately 1.7 billion people living in our world currently that will die without ever hearing the name Jesus. That's totally unacceptable. When we look at our world and we look at our lifestyle and we look at everything that God has given us, it's unbelievable that there are almost 2 billion people in our world that have never heard the name Jesus. That's a huge problem, but it's a huge calling. See, God desires for us to make a difference. But in order for us to make a difference, we need a new perspective, don't we? We need our cages to be rattled just a little bit. We need a new vision to reach the world. But here's the most amazing part. In the world that we live in currently, in our context, in our society in America right now, we have the potential, we have the ability to be the first generation in the history of the world where we can actually share the gospel with every single person on the planet. Now for centuries that wasn't possible because of transportation and technology and money. That just wasn't something that could actually be done. But in our generation, we have the potential through the money that God has given us, through our resources, through our travel and transportation, through the internet, through mass media. We've got the ability to be the generation that sees the entire world hear the name Jesus. And so today, we begin a journey. A journey that's going to take us outside of the walls of this church. A journey that's going to take us beyond the boundaries of our city. A journey that's going to take us beyond the imagination of our minds. And even though this journey is going to start here, it's going to carry us to the ends of the earth. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. We'll be focusing this morning on Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Let me give you a little bit of background in the book of Acts as you flip to that portion of your Bible. Acts was written by Luke. Luke wrote one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in the Gospel of Luke, he told the story of Christ. He told the birth of Christ and the miracles that Christ performed and how Christ lived his life and how Christ was crucified and died and buried. 
When we pick up in the early portion of the book of Acts, Luke is explaining to us that Jesus has already risen from the grave and he's about to ascend into heaven. Now, it's in the early portions of the book of Acts that we read about the growth of the church. God calls the disciples together. We're going to see here in just a second. In Acts chapter 2, the early church is formed. And the disciples and the followers of Christ go into the world and begin to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. That growth of the church continues until today. Now, we're going to take this story. Here we are 2,000 years later, and we're going to back it up. We're going to back it up to the beginning, to the first called by Jesus to his people to reach the nations. And we find it in Acts chapter 6, beginning, excuse me, Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. Here's what the Bible says. So they, these are the disciples, met together and they asked him, that's Jesus. So the disciples met together and asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of of Israel. Now we've seen this before, right? The disciples wanted Christ to come and take his power and become a worldly king. They've asked him this question before. Now look at verse 7. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set out by his own authority. But, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now this passage of scripture is a clear call by Jesus Christ to his people to reach the nations. But for the disciples in that context of the first century, it required that they see the world in a new light. It required that they kind of take everything that they understood and flip it on its head. And so Christ gives in three very clear truths in this one passage of scripture, in this one verse. <coughs> That the disciples applied to their lives 2,000 years ago. And there are three truths that we can apply to our lives today if we're serious about reaching the nations. Here's the first truth. Christ explains to these disciples that they're going to receive, number one, a new power. They're going to receive a new power. Now you may remember the story of the disciples, how they had gotten it wrong already. Christ has said to the disciples, it's time for us to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to the, to the teachers and the chief priests and the rulers. They're going to put me to death. They're going to crucify me. They're going to kill me. They're going to bury me. And on the third day, I'm going to rise again. And the disciples never quite understood that. And so even as they're going to Jerusalem, they begin to ask Christ this question. Who's going to be second in command? Right? When you establish yourself as the worldly king and the, the ruler of nations, who's going to be second in command, Christ? When you become this military force and you throw the Romans out and the Jewish people are placed back on the position of power where they belong, who's going to be next? You see, they understood Christ's power. And they understood his ability to change the world, but they misunderstood the power he had. The power is a, a very good thing in our world. And power oftentimes has been discovered out through history, throughout history, has revolutionized the way we look at the world. Just think about it. Think about how the discovery of steam power changed the way we traveled. Think about how the discovery of industrial power and the industrial revolution changed the way we manufacture things. Think about how nuclear power changed the world. Some of you have heard the name Robert Oppenheimer. Robert Oppenheimer was head of the Manhattan Project. They went to New Mexico, and he and his team developed, built, and tested the first atomic bomb. You may have heard the story. 
At that very first testing of the atomic bomb, Robert Oppenheimer said this, when people witnessed that first bomb explode, he said, a few people laughed, a few people cried, most people were silent. We knew the world would never be the same again. He was right. Power changes things. And the disciples understood Christ's power. They had seen him do incredible things already in their journey. They had seen him heal the sick. They had seen him walk on water. They had seen him raise the dead. They had seen him after he was crucified and buried to come back to life. He was alive again. And so they begin to ask, is this the time, Christ, that you're going to restore the kingdom? But Jesus said, that's not the kind of power I'm talking about. That's not the kind of power I'm talking about. I'm offering you a new power. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, you are going to accomplish incredible things. Now, we can continue to study the book of Acts, and for the next several weeks, we're going to be working through the book of Acts. But if we begin to study what this power actually did, we would see the disciples do incredible things. We would see Peter heal people. We would see the lame walk and the, and the sick be healed and the blind be able to see we would see the, the disciples preach incredible sermons, even in the midst of certain death, for the glory of God. We would see this power just heal and do miraculous things in their midst. And as we begin to think about this new power and what Christ offered to the disciples and how it changed their lives and how it grew the first century church, here's the question we ask ourselves. What is this power going to do for us today? Because, see, here, here's our problem in the modern church. It's not that the power is new for us. It's just that we've never fully tapped into its power. I mean, here's what we do with the Holy Spirit. We kind of make it the, the stepchild of the Trinity, don't we? God the Father, we understand, right? We know God the Father. We study God the Father. God the Son, Jesus Christ, we understand. We know all He accomplished and what He did for us on the cross. And then we take God the Holy Spirit. By the way, the same I'm going to spend a lot of time next week talking about the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. We take the Holy Spirit and we kind of set Him aside, right? Why? Because we don't really understand it. <laughs> and we read about the things that He causes people to do and it scares us. Wow. I don't know if I want to be a part of all that, right? I'm just going to kind of set Him aside. Christ says, through this power, you can do incredible things. So you say, well, what does that mean for us today? Does that mean that God is going to heal people? Well, He certainly could if He wanted to. He has that power. Does it mean that God is going to do miraculous signs and incredible wonders in our midst? He certainly could if he wanted to. Does it mean that we're going to see miracles on the mission field and just think that we can't explain only through the power of God? Sure. If God wants to do those things, he can. But here's what we need to understand. Here's the foundation for us. Through the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, here's what it means for us today. It means that we will be able to accomplish everything God has called us to accomplish. That's what it means. It means that if God has called us to reach the nations through the power of the Holy Spirit, He's going to allow us to reach the nations. If God has called us to Guatemala or to Romania or to Africa, Asia, some other part of the world to share His name and to accomplish incredible things through Him, the power of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts will allow us to do those things. That's what the power does for us. But as a church, as individuals, as the body of Christ, we've got to tap into that power. We've got to begin to pray for that power and recognize that power and understand exactly what that power will do in our lives. You say, okay, great, so Christ has given this new power. Christ has given us this new power and this new ability. What does that really look like? What should this power be used for? We'll look at the verse again. 
Christ says in Acts 1-8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. So the first truth we see is that Christ offers the new power. The second truth we see is that he offers a new witness. Through the new power, it drives these disciples to become new witnesses. Now you say, wait a minute, I, I don't understand why you say they're new. They've been with Christ now for two and a half, maybe even three years, studying Him, learning about Him, following Him, seeing all the incredible things that He had done. Why are things now new? Well, let's back up a little bit and understand the mindset of the disciples. You remember Christ had gone to them and He had told them He was going to have to die. We're going to go to Jerusalem and we're going to be handed over to the chief priests. They're going to crucify me, put me in the grave. Three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. Now, when he says that to the disciples, Peter stands up and Peter says in Matthew 26, 33, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. That's what Peter says. Now, you fast forward just a little bit and we read this about Peter. Now, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard. This is just after Christ had been arrested. And a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And then he went out of the gateway. And another girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them, for your accent gives you away. Then he began to call curses down on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. You see, here's the disciples in the first century. When Christ is arrested and crucified, they literally run and hide. They run and find every hiding place they can, under every rock and in every room. They don't want anybody to know who they are or where they are, or certainly that they have been in some way connected with Christ. In fact, we read in John 20 that on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews... So before the ascension of Christ, before the power of the Holy Spirit falls upon them, these guys were scared to death. And they ran and they hid and they didn't want anything to do with Christ or with his ministry, let alone reaching the nations for Christ. Now we take a look at these disciples and we wonder, how could they do that? How could they witness the things of Jesus and then be afraid? How could they know all he had done and all he accomplished and yet run and hide when he needed them most? And then I look at myself in the mirror. And I think, Adam, how could you be so fearful, right? Because let's just be honest with each other. We're afraid sometimes to be different, aren't we? We're afraid to stand up in that group of people or in that cubicle at work or in that social setting or sometimes even within our family. We're afraid to be different. Why? Because we're fearful of people making fun of us. We're afraid that people may ridicule us. We're afraid we may not fit in with the crowd. We're afraid to share. We're afraid to share our witness with other people, those that we love, those that we work with, those that we're surrounded with. We're afraid to share our witness. Why? Because we don't want to seem different. We don't want to cause a scene. We don't want them to think we're looking down upon them. We're sometimes fearful to go, aren't we? We don't want to go. We're scared because we're not sure what God has in store for us, what God's called us to do. 
And we see ourselves in the same model of the disciples. But here's what Christ says. Because of this new power, you're going to be a new witness. You were once afraid, now you're going to be bold. You were once timid, now you're going to be empowered. You once had a small little vision for sharing the name of Christ, now you're going to have a vision to reach the world. See, through the power of the Holy Spirit in the disciples and in our lives, we become new witnesses. We become more bold and more powerful to reach the world for Christ. But look at what he does in the last part of verse 8. You will receive power, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and all Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Christ offers a new power that will lead them to be a new witness that ultimately will give them a new world. See, through the power of the Holy Spirit working in their hearts, they became bold. And through that boldness, they begin to reach the world. Now Christ gives them kind of this new vision of what he's called them to do. He expands the vision of what he wants them to do and how he wants them to act. And I love the way that he does it, kind of with these ever-widening circles of influence, right? So Christ says, you're going to get this power. This power is going to change you. You're going to be a new witness. And when you're a new witness, you're going to witness to, first of all, Jerusalem. That's your little area. Then you're going to move to Judea and Samaria, a regional mindset. And then from there, you're going to move to the ends of the earth. Now, here's our problem sometimes. We put God in this little box, don't we? God, I, you know, maybe we can reach LaGrange, right? Maybe the parts of Troop County, if you start talking about Judea and Samaria, you know, Georgia, the United States, maybe North America, wow, that's, that's a big area, God. There are a lot of people there. And then you move to the ends of the earth. Really, Lord? Really, you're calling us. In Acts 1-8, to reach the world. I just don't know if that's possible, God. I'm just not sure if that's something we can handle. I'm just not sure if you've given us the ability to do that. I'm reminded of Isaiah 49-6. When the Lord says, It's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of of the earth. You see, our vision may be small. We may keep God in this little box, but God's got a vision for us to reach the world. Now, some of you are thinking, Adam, I, I just don't know. I just don't know. Is God really doing something in our church? Is He really leading us to reach the world? Is He really giving us the ability to accomplish everything He's called us to accomplish? When I got back from Guatemala, I preached two different sermons on missions. You may remember those sermons. And when I came back from Guatemala, I had a real small vision. I'll be very honest with you. I believed when I came back, the weeks leading up to going on that trip and the week I was having, I prayed earnestly that God would give me a vision for this church. God, just give me a vision for what you want us to do. Just give me a clear vision of exactly the direction you want us to go. And I came back with this. It seemed like a really small vision in my mind now. I thought we'll take 10 to 15 people on one trip, maybe. And I'm going to set up that August 12th Missions Giving Sunday. On that Sunday, maybe we'll raise $25,000. That was my hope. I thought, God, we'll take 10 or 15 people this first year, raise maybe $20,000, $25,000. We'll be well on our way. And so I get back and I preach these two sermons about mission work. And I started getting calls from people. And here's what these people said to me. I don't really know what's going on in my heart, Adam. But I have to go. I had a guy just this morning standing right here saying to me, Adam, I don't want to go. 
I'm scared to death, but I have to go. He said, I can't really explain what's going on in my heart. And call after call after call after call. And I went from thinking we're going to have 10 to 15 to maybe 25, maybe 30, to now we're going to have to take two trips. And now my mind's thinking, are we going to have to charter an airplane? <laughs> That's kind of where my brain's going, right? Don't laugh too hard. <laughs> God's doing some incredible things. And so my vision is beginning to expand, right, about the number of people that are going to come all that God is doing and how he's prepared our hearts. And I'm so excited. And then I started thinking, God, how am I going to pay for all this, right? I mean, the people are going to pay their own way, certainly. But we've we got to get medical supplies. We're going to do VBS type stuff. We've got to get supplies for that. We're going to try to do some things to help these kids with their schooling, to pay for some of their education. I mean, there, there are all sorts of things we're going to need to purchase. How am I going to pay for all this stuff? And I'm standing right down here after one of my sermons, and there's some people talking to me, and I'm talking to them, and I finish up, and a man walks up to me, and he's been coming to our church for a little while, not a long, long time. And he says, how much do you think you're going to raise on August the 12th? And I said, I, I really have no idea. I said, in my brain, I had that 25000 number. You know, I, I think we can raise at least that. I said, we raised 100000 for the driveway. And I said, I feel like our people will really rise up. If we can raise $100,000 for some pavement, surely we can raise $100,000 for missions. That's what I told him. And he said, well, you know what? We've been really impressed with this church. We've been really impressed with everything you're doing. God's just laying some things on our heart. And he said, on that August the 12th day, however much money your church gives, I'll match it up to $100,000. Yeah. And so my brain went, right? My vision is expanding Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, right? Oh, my God. Wow. Okay, <laughs> so you're providing this money for us. Well, what, okay, what's next? Well, what are you going to do? And the, the vision is expanding. I'm just thinking, God, what are you up to? How are you working in our hearts? And how are you working in our lives? And a couple weeks later, I get a phone call. This person is a member of our church. And this person says, Adam, I need to talk to you. And I say, great, you want to come see me? No, 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 I, I, don't, want, I don't want to come see you. I want you to come see me. Okay, I'll be happy to do that. So I drive out to the house, and, and, and this person sits down with me, and this is what the person says. You know, we've had some money set aside for a little while. God's been working in our heart about it. We weren't really sure what we needed to do with it. And we, we prayed and never quite had a peace over the last few years. We just weren't sure what to do. But Adam, when you started preaching about missions, we knew. We didn't have a choice. We knew we had to give it. And so we want to give you $100,000 towards that mission support. Now, here's what I got. I got somebody that's offered to be $100,000. I got somebody else that's offered to match up to $100,000. So we haven't even asked the church for a penny yet. We got $200,000. Now, you tell me God's not doing something. You tell me he's not up to something incredible. I sit back and I think, well, what are you doing? I mean, I drove home in my truck just kind of having this conversation with God. Like, are you serious, right? I mean... What are you going to do now? I got home and I told Amy, I said, I'm, I'm honestly a little afraid because I've never seen anything like this. I've never experienced anything like this. I have no idea what God is doing now. It's not like you go down there with 10 or 15 people, you raise twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars and everybody feels good. We've got a mission program, everybody's excited. Boom, all of a sudden we got $200,000. I'm like, well, what are you doing? What's going on with the hearts of our people? Now, here's, here's what some people are going to think. They're going to think when we get to that August the 12th Sunday, I'm glad I don't have to give now. <laughs> well, we raised plenty of money. Lord, you really got me off the hook. I appreciate that. Well, here's the mindset that I have. I want to be a part of this. 
I want to be a part of this. Because God, you're doing something incredible. I don't have any idea what you're going to continue to do. I don't know what you're going to keep doing in the midst of our church, but I want to be a part of it. I want to wake up one day when I'm old and I want to tell my grandkids, you remember when we started that missions program, it was like all it's done over the last several decades. You remember all that we've accomplished for Christ? That first Sunday I gave to that. I was a part of that. And God used my little amount of money, as little as it was, to do incredible things for his kingdom. You see, here's where we are right now through his mind. It's no longer theory. It's not what if, God. It's how big. What are you going to continue to do in our midst? I want to read a story, just a, a quote from a missionary as I finish this morning. His name is C.T. Studd. I thought that was a great name. He was a missionary to China and to India, and eventually he finished his life in Africa. Here's what he said. It resonates in my heart as I think about all that God is doing. Here's what C.T. Studd said. He said, too long we have been waiting for one another to begin. The time has passed. Should such men as we fear, before the whole world, before the sleepy, lukewarm, faithless, namby-pamby Christian world, we will dare to trust our God. And we will do it with His joy unspeakable singing aloud in our hearts. And we will a thousand times sooner die trusting only in our God than live trusting in men. And when we come to this position, the battle is already won. And the end of the glorious campaign is in sight. And we will have the real holiness of God. Not the sickly stuff of talk and dainty words and pretty thoughts. We will have a masculine holiness, one of daring faith and works for Jesus Christ. Now I think it's time that we stood up. I think it's time that we accepted this power of the Holy Spirit. I think it's time that we witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I think it's time that we become the generation that literally reaches the world for Christ. And so today, I want you to mark this day in your calendar. At Rosemont Baptist Church, today, the journey begins. Let's pray. Father, we trust you, and we love you, Lord, and we seek your power in all things. We are in awe of what you have already done and what you will continue to do. Father, we, we did not expect you to be this big, <laughs> this fast, but we, precious, we, we trust your precious name, and we have hope, Lord, that you're going to continue to do incredible things in our midst. Give us the strength to embrace the power of the Holy Spirit, to be you witnesses, to change the world for you, Father, in all corners of the globe, we give you praise and the honor and the glory for what you and you alone are doing. In Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the opportunity for the next couple minutes to pray. Maybe you need to come and pray about your involvement in missions. Maybe you need to pray for Thank you for joining us for this podcast. We invite you to visit our campus at 3794 Hamilton Road in LaGrange, Georgia. Or visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.